Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So welcome everybody. Sunday set Long Beach, um, Inside LA. My name is Casey. Um, very happy to be here with you today. So today, and in, in within that energy, I want to uh, talk a little bit about and then do some practices with compassion, which is, um, you know, I taught, you know, we spoke about a couple weeks ago too, just like this endless theme, obviously, of, of compassion. And so I'll, I want to read something. There was a, there's a book, um, I think it's called The Bodhisattva of Compassion, about the history of this, um, this Bodhisattva called by different names, Avalokiteshvara, the Sanskrit name of the Buddha of Compassion. When this deity moved from India into, into Tibet, it took on the form of Chenrezig, a male form, and then many of um, many of you know probably the feminine aspect when it moved into Japan and, and China of Kuan Yin. And I brought in uh, one of my favorite altar items today, and someone had just taken off another piece of art, so I got to hang it. <laughs> just do. And you can come up after and take a closer look. This is actually an original um, painting on silk from an amazing French artist, um, T.I. Campbell. She's incredible. Um, and this is, this is a Kuan Yin depiction. And the detail is really amazing when the light's good and all that. Um, this, the, the, the idea of, of bodhisattvas or deities are there just like when we have somebody in real life that we look up to uh, because of their athletic abilities or intellectual abilities or something like this, we could look at these deities as a way to, um, to inspire what's inside of us. And they say each, each deity is an aspect of our own enlightened mind. So Manjushri is an aspect of wisdom, which is our own wisdom mind. So Kuan Yin obviously is an aspect of our own enlightened, compassionate mind. So in this book, uh, it's really a, a wonderful historical take on you know, how this deity has evolved. But what I find is most interesting is the talks that the author has with practitioners of um, devotees of Kuan Yin. So I'm going to read a couple of things. And this first one, I think these are both from... Chinese nuns. This first first one is is great to see where does the energy of compassion where does it mostly um, where does it have the most impact on our practice with this compassion and wisdom and how do they work together? So this is a wonderful <coughs> description of how that works. <clears throat> so this is the nun talking. You must realize, first of all, that our minds are not separate from nirvana, which, if you, have already, if you have read any Zen works, you will know to be the sole reality. 
and she is talking to the author here. Known in, in its original state as the Great Void, or what you English people call ultimate reality, it is simultaneously the realm of form, the matrix of myriad objects, as Lao Tzu puts it. By no means must they be thought of as separate, this form and emptiness. The great void and the realm of form are not. There is no going from to one to the other, only a mode of perception. Mind is like a boundless ocean of light or infinite space from which streams of Bodhi, marvelous energy that produces in us an urge towards enlightenment. So Bodhi is nirvana, the word Bodhi. But to attain enlightenment, you need vast stores of wisdom and compassion in perfect, in perfect union. Wisdom includes a full and direct perception of your own egolessness and of the non-existence of anything like own self in any object. Compassion is a prime means of destroying all clinging to delusion of selfhood. So I'm going to read that last part again. Wisdom includes the full and direct perception of your own egolessness and of the non-existence of anything like own self, like a, self, um, a separate self, in any object. Compassion is a prime means of destroying all clinging to delusion of selfhood. So in this way we can see that compassion is a way to purify into wisdom, if that makes sense. It's purifying this idea of self-clinging. And as that purification becomes more and more clear, wisdom can manifest. So it's a beautiful description. I just want to, keep, I want to tell a couple stories of of in my life when I have I saw the manifestation of this and I wanted this is what motivated me uh, to generate more bodhicitta in my life um, this one story and I've told I've told these both before but they're fitting now when I was living at Atlanta Medicine Buddha we had an abbot of Sarah J Monastery uh, Kinshan Rinpoche and Kinshan Rinpoche was the abbot before he came to Land of Medicine Buddha of Sarah J, which would house three to five thousand monks at a time. So he's an incredible, incredible teacher. And we had him at our small center in Santa Cruz. It was really incredible to be that that close to a being with some some realizations for sure. So at the time I worked in the media lab and we would film all the teachings and then make um, DVDs back when DVDs existed, we'd make DVDs out of out of them. And Rinpoche's attendant came and said that Rinpoche wanted a recording of of one of the talks, and if we could burn one and give it to him. And so we did, and I went up to where, where Rinpoche was staying, and I knocked on the door. And usually, the attendant would be there, but the attendant wasn't there. It was actually Rinpoche. So I gave Rinpoche the, the CD or the DVD, 
and he looked at me with these big beautiful eyes and he was older and he he walked kind of like a wobble like that but he was telling me hold on hold on like don't leave don't leave so he walked across the living room like into the kitchen and he was looking for something looking 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 and finally he picked up this avocado and like I still get teary-eyed but he, he he's holding this avocado in his hands like this and he's walking over and it's just like so incredible like the love is like so amazing it's like this little avocado offering you know it's like so incredible but he needed to obviously give me something which like here like a lot of times someone burns you to give you oh thanks man and like you just take it you know <laughs> but for him it was so important for one to do it but that the transference of love and compassion was beyond almost anything and it's like sounds so weird to say it, but like all my loving relationships like even like parental and it wasn't like I had an insane amount of devotion towards Rinpoche in general it was just this amazing force which I just totally didn't expect and when I got back to the media lab I was like this and my friend Dorje who had been there for a long time I told him I said I just had this incredible experience like I can't believe it and he said very nonchalantly he said yeah they could do that like <laughs> yeah it was very very powerful and I thought, what is that? Like, what kind of, like, what, what is that? Like, that, that type of just amazing love can come from a, a being. And I had several experiences with Venerable Tenzin Chogi. We have um, precious jewels, bless you. We had precious jewels come to the Dharma centers. Uh, precious jewels or anyone who's having a hard time and who maybe exhibits very difficult personalities. Uh, we'd call them, there are precious tools to practice. <laughs> and um, the precious jewels would overthrow me. Like I knew that um, I didn't have the patience or, it, you know, I didn't, I couldn't sustain it, you know. And I'd watch over and over again venerable Tintin Chogi. We'd call it flatlining when somebody kind of catches you <laughs> and kind of, and just corners you almost and just keeps talking <laughs> and they won't stop. <laughs> and I, we'd call it, there's a term, we call it flatlining, but I just like flatline, you know? It's like I can't, I can't <laughs> deal. And I'd watch how she would just give it infinite amounts of love like it would never end they could sit with her as long as they wanted and just her endless flow of compassion and it wasn't like she was striving it was just this endless inexhaustible like mine was forced you know it's like trying she wasn't trying just like this endless inexhaustible force and again what is that that's not normal like it's not it's not ordinary. It's not ordinary like love or it's not conceptual love. What is that?
it happened to be when I met Venerable Tenzin Chogi that she had just come out of six years of retreat. Quite a long time of silent, solitary retreat. And three years of that she spent in a, a high Tantra practice becoming the Buddha of Compassion. So this is a very, very difficult practice where you visualize Chenrezig so clearly that she's literally there and then you merge with with that energy you become that so she spent three years the final three years in a Chenrezig practice so another story of this devotion and 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 how it relates to what we talked about here this wisdom and compassion merging was um I happened to come upon, uh, in Nepal, Lama Zopa showed up in Nepal, and I was at the, the large stupa, Bonath, the, 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 one of the large famous stupas in, in Nepal, and I had brought katas, which are these like um, holy scarves, you know, and you, you hand them over to the Lama, and then they hand it back and give you a blessing. So I put katas in, the po- in my pocket, even though we're just going to the stupa, just to make rounds around the stupa, just in case a holy person came. And I saw Venable Roger, who was Lama Zopa's attendant at the time. And so I knew Lama Zopa was there. And so the people that I with said, oh, Lama Zopa's here. Let's go out and we can get a blessing because now because we have katas. There is this um, um, Amazing looking Lama with Lama Zopa. He looked like something out of like a movie, like a Chinese caricature of like the long beard, like mm-hmm. the wise man. And he had long hair, but he was in monks, uh, like a Nyingma tradition, monks robes. But he had long hair, which also denotes he's from the Nyingma traditions, like called old school, old school Dzogchen uh, tradition. So I asked Venable Roger, because I spent a lot of time with him, I said, you know, who's that? And he says, I don't know who he is, but when Lama Zopa comes, even though we don't tell him or anything, he just shows up. <laughs> he like ar- just arrives, like out of nowhere. And so him and, but he says Lama Zopa loves him and they go back and forth, you know. So Lama Zopa went down like this alleyway and this other being was sitting there. So I, I, I wanted to connect with him. So I said, you know, how do you know Lama Zopa? And he says something like, him and Lama Zopa go way back, way back. And then I said, um, how did you know he was coming today? Because of what Vinville Rogers said. And he said, sometimes when I'm meditating, and I heard this other Kimpo Jigme, this other teacher of mine says this, he says, they can't give realizations, the monks can't give realizations, because if, if they do, it's a breaking of vows. So they can't say, I'm clairvoyant or something. But he said, sometimes I know a little bit. Sometimes I know a little bit. He said, sometimes I'm in meditation. And then my mind says, Lama Zopa at stupa. (laughs) And then I come down to the stupa. But what was so incredible about this Lama was his devotion to Lama Zopa. He kept saying over and over again, like Lama Zopa went down here, he was waiting for him to come back, and he kept saying, Lama's coming back, 
Llama's coming back. And like, even though we were talking, he was like a child, just like, Llama's coming back. Like, we're going to get to see him again. It's like this incredible outpouring of devotion. Incredible. And I asked him, I said, have you been able to go into retreat? Like, how long have you gone into retreat? And he says, well, I was in retreat, but I could only stay for 12 years <laughs> because the snow was too deep. Because the snow was too deep. He could only stay for 12 years. But again, this correlation between retreat and this amazing amount of love and compassion, right? And then he said, he said the exact thing about this wisdom and compassion. He says, out of the blue, he looked at me and he looked at the sky and he says, when the heart is pure, wisdom falls effortlessly from the clear blue sky. When the heart is pure, wisdom falls effortlessly from the clear blue sky. And I knew from him being a Dzogchen non-dual practitioner, the clear blue sky is the most common reference to our enlightened mind. So he was saying that when the heart is pure, wisdom falls effortlessly you know, from our own mind, from our own enlightened mind. You know. And it's just to see somebody who... Uh, maybe I'll post a picture. I have a picture with him. I'll post that maybe. Um, just, you could just see the, the illumination in his eyes. This, I think it's just so fascinating um, to see this childlike love just emanating from beings. Um, so I, I want to go over, I don't know how it's going to work in a group. I'm going to lead us through a meditation um, on Kuan Yin. Mm -hmm. And it's one that I'll, I'm going, it's a very rare one. Um, this meditation comes in, in a variety of different um, uh, manifestations, if you will. So the similar meditations, uh, they're just spoke, spoke about a little bit differently. And I'm going to also put it on, on our Facebook page and on our newsletter, okay? So you can re-read it, if you will. But... So this might be kind of a primer for you to actually do this by yourself because um, it's going to take some visualization. And also, too, I brought this Kuan Yin. Obviously, it's really small. And you, everyone can't see it. But do people, for the most part, have an idea of what Kuan Yin looks like? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. No. 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 <laughs> she looks like that. Because um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to ask you to visualize her. But you can just visualize the... Um, I don't know if it would be too much of a hassle. If somebody doesn't have any idea, because it's more about a heart thing, it does, you don't need to visualize her perfectly at all. <coughs> but if somebody doesn't have any concept, you can go ahead and walk up and just look real quick. You know? But it's more of an energy than details. Yeah? Okay. All right, so finding a position 
that will support your meditation. Breathing in, I know that I am breathing in. Breathing out, I know that I am breathing out. Giving yourself full permission not to do anything at all for the next few moments. Just your beingness is enough. Not meditating, not relaxing. Nothing to do, nowhere to go. Then allowing to arise in your mind's eye an ocean at night with a full moon in the sky. The black sea with the moon reflecting like jewels across its surface. The moon is full, large, and vibrant. The sky is blue-black, allowing the moon to shine very brightly. And your focus begins to tighten on the moon itself. And then your attention falling upon the moon is soothing and calming to your spirit. Stabilizing the mind on the moon itself. And you notice little by little, the moon is getting brighter. But little bit at a time, it's also getting smaller. Holding the attention very firm on this 
bright moon. Getting brighter and brighter. And also getting smaller. And this this moon as it shrinks down to a size of a pearl with your whole beingness focused on this very bright pearl. It begins to grow back again in size and as it does so you start to make out that it is Kuan Yin herself the Buddha of compassion luminous in the light of the moon you make out her form Standing up against the sky, gleaming white, resting on a lotus. And bringing forth this feeling of compassion emanating from her. shining she smiles at you a lovely huge smile so happy that you are here connecting with her in the spirit of love and compassion her name Kuan Yin in your mind as you're resting your gaze upon her.
your own pace when it feels right to do so. <coughs> you say thank you to Kuan Yin. Then watch her as she gets smaller and smaller once again. And this time she does not go back into a pearl. She just becomes a vastness itself. And holding on to that last little bit of light. And when her light disappears, resting in this great space of just pure beingness. How was that one? Okay. Awesome. I think it's awesome. If you, if you see, um, which hopefully you didn't catch this because you weren't thinking about it, <laughs> the original description we talked about, um, the original quote that I read, to attain enlightenment, you need vast storehouse, stores of wisdom and compassion in perfect union. Wisdom includes a full and direct perception of your own egolessness and the non-existence of anything like own self in any object. Compassion is a prime means of destroying all clinging of delusion and selfhood. And this is a really powerful enlightenment practice. Because if you notice, we're doing just that. We're taking compassion and purifying purifying with compassion, and then you're resting in just beingness, in this selflessness. This is really incredible. And there's um, 
when this actually was was taught, this nun was talking about this this technique, and she says, "If you keep your mind calm by just whispering her name and not trying too hard, she will stay a long, long time. She doesn't go back to a pearl; she just gets so small that at last you can't see her." Then you notice that the sky and sea have vanished. Just space is left. Lovely, lovely space going on forever. That space stays as long, stays long if you can without you. Not you in space. You see, just space, no you. So, even though we're a larger group. Um, I'd like to see if you could share how that went for you. I mean, anything else that you want um, to share about what we talked about so far? Um, you have a question? I, I'd like to give you an avocado for this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was in Japan and I was just starting to learn about Zen Buddhism. And I saw this Guan Yin, white portion, and I said, I, I had to get it and give it to my beloved mother, which I did. And uh, she had it for 30, 40 years. Mm. And now she had passed, and I had a special place in my kitchen. Oh, wonderful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes? Okay. So. I often struggle with visualizations and I find like my mind clinging to want to make a like this real clear, vivid mental picture. But then I was like, well, it's not okay. At first it happens and then I, it sort of loose, it gets fuzzy. So then ultimately it was like more of the feeling, which is what you were saying, what you were speaking about. And it was really um, quite beautiful because I noticed the last couple weeks moments of like strong feeling but then also like juxtaposed with a lot of numbness mm. and feelings of being sort of outside of myself and I really felt um, a strong landing during that meditation like back into my heart so you know and question about sort of visualization. So, so Guan Yin, maybe people are familiar with what she looks like and maybe people aren't and maybe people are really familiar. I'm somewhat familiar and I found during the vis visualization it was like a memories uh, forms came into my mind to help make the picture. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't, it was hard to not incorporate ideas, memories, um, to making the picture of what the water looks like and what the moon looks like. I thought I went to the island that Yin is sort of like from or whatever, and I was like, oh, I remember sitting and looking out over the water. There's my picture of water. But that's not, that's coming from, that's like a, a thought like a, an idea I already have, a mental picture I already have that I'm now bringing into this visualization exercise. 
So if someone is visualizing on an image, like, is there not a problem <coughs> or a trap of getting very into sort of not open space, but cons you know, the constriction of looking too tightly or bringing in from your memory or from somewhere else, like what it is you're trying to conjure up in your head? I really hope that that question makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like thinking mind, like because yeah, like we say no thinking mind, and then there's thinking mind because we're visualizing and, and all that. Yes. Um, yeah, crazy monkey yes. mind. Two things, like so, it's okay to bring up something else that you know in a visualization. Like it's okay to bring up a notion that you've seen before, or something like that. Um, and also, like with Kuan Yin or the deities, that that's why they have tankas. That's why you see those right, depictions yeah. and everything, and that's why they have, you know, statues. It's because they stare at it, and then they just they visualize that. But even that, and then the, I would say the third piece to this is that, just like when we practice mindfulness, like non-thinking and, and you know paying attention mm -hmm. present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally bringing the mind back, the visualization gets clearer and cleaner and non-thinking mind arises easier as we do visualization. Mm -hmm. The first wave of visualization, it can ignite thinking mind. Mm -hmm. As we get in the routine and consistently do visualization, the, this image becomes super clear and it stays the same mm -hmm. and without a lot of conjuring. If you keep doing it, it's just gonna settle mm -hmm. and it's just gonna be clearer and even that falls away too, because okay. the the realness of it, like when you're doing real like deity practices, they take on the shape of their own, almost like alive, you know. Okay, so like first time, first timers, I'm <laughs> probably yeah. going to be like totally. This is totally normal. Using a lot of thinking mind to make a visualization, but it supersedes that at some point. Yeah, as you, if you keep doing it, yeah. like get back to me and just say like, okay. yeah, watch it. Just it just becomes. Okay. Super easy. It comes out mm. nicely. Right. Cool. Thank you. I think it's interesting because uh, in Zen, that's also a very common practice uh, using, but uh, in Shiogi Zen, the Bodhisattva's uh, name is translated into Kwanzian Bosal. That's the full name of Kwan. Yeah, right. that's the full name of Kwan Yin. This is a Zen practice, pretty. Much. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. And uh, Zen master Sian Son uh, in his book has this story of this little grade school girl named Sol. And um, she <laughs> loves going to visit the Zen master. And so he says, I'm going to give you a present. I want you to repeat the Bodhisattva's name as much as you can. You'll find great happiness. Mm -hmm. So she goes home, and she starts chanting in front of the, the family altar a couple times a day. <coughs> Pretty soon she's chanting 24 hours a day, seven mm -hmm. days a week. And of course, after a few years, the temple bell rings, and her mind opens, she's the bell, she's the sky, she's the earth, she's one with everything in the universe. She becomes a Zen master and she's still in grade school. Uh, and it's interesting, I, I invited several of the monks out to lunch and you know they have a lot of different um, techniques available mm -hmm. to them and almost all of them chant Kwan Zian Bo Sao mm -hmm. 24 hours a day as mm -hmm. their, their uh, technique. Yeah. Their and on the on the Tibetan side, the Omani Pavyom, which is the mantra of the book, the Buddha of Compassion. So there's some sects in in Tibetan Buddhism that's the entire practice. It's 
every, that's all they do. Mm-hmm. They'll chant it millions of times in their lifetime, and it never stops. Um, so it's very, very powerful, like uh, the Buddha of Compassion and the, the mantras and the name associated yeah, with this being. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Anyone else? Yeah. Um, yeah, I felt it really strong, beautiful visualization. <laughs> and it was very like alive. I felt like you know, I'm sitting here like all peaceful, but like on the inside, I felt like I could like spin around or very like a lot of movement for me. Yeah. Um, that came up. And then the other thing was that and I was just like going with the visualization and I, Kuan Yin, that image isn't as strong for me as another kind of image I have that's someone that I think of around compassion and that mm-hmm. is the image that I had. Like I, I was like trying to be like, no, no, Kuan Yin and then I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so and then I just went with it. So, and I guess the question is like, how important is it that like it's Kuan Yin based specifically like to me? It's a funny story, like they were saying how um, these practitioners were talking about when they're visualizing Kanya and, and all of a sudden she'll shape into all the other beings, like she'll be, um, you know, Manjushri and all, all these other deities, Vajadara and all these other ones. So um, it's all essence, you know, essence, mind. So um, whatever works for you, and of course Tara is another very, very common manifestation of Kuan Yin <clears throat> that people like to focus on. So as long as that brings that up for you, it's, I don't think it's the essence of it. So, yeah. so thank you all very, very much. <clears throat>